I'm here to bring part two of my sermon, but I understand that this is the first service. I understand that uh, 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 um, last week I preached on, are you the 1%, but I preached it on a Sunday, all right? So today it is actually part two. So I'm going to repeat just a little bit to give everybody context, but I can't say everything. So I'm gonna have to invite you to watch the sermon online last week to understand a lot more of a fuller context about the story of Gideon. You see, we've landed in the story of Gideon, um, and last week was the, if I were to rephrase my sermon, last week was the rise of Gideon, all right? And this week is the fall of Gideon. The rise of Gideon and the fall of Gideon. And this week, I, I entitled my sermon, Guard Your 1%. If last week was, are you the 1%, then this week would be, guard your 1%, because you are the 1%. Guard your 1%. Before I, before I tell the story and go into my wonderful, amazing map again, um, I want to open with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father God, for this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for just being here in our midst. Thank you, Father God, for your presence. Yes, Lord Jesus, we worship you all the days of our lives. Father, Lord God, Holy Spirit, come and move in our midst. Come and be amongst us, Father, Lord Jesus, as, you, as we hear the word of God, as you impart to us, download to us, and convict our hearts, Lord Jesus. Soften it with the, by the Holy Spirit and convict our hearts, Lord Jesus Christ, to what you want to speak to us today. So we give you all glory and all honor, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's really good. Um, I have a lot to say. Um, so if you put last week and this week's sermon together, I've got actually 10 points about Gideon, right? So last week was five. Today I have another five. So it's a, it's a, it's a full, it's a full uh, series because Gideon is one of the bigger judges of the book of Judges. So it's Gideon being the bigger one and the major judge. And then you've got Samson being another major judge in the whole book of Judges. Therefore, their stories are quite long. Their stories are about four chapters each. And therefore, last week was two chapters. This week, I'm only going to cover a, a bit of chapter 7 and a chapter 8, and it's a long story, so I'm not, I, I don't have time to make everybody read the whole chapter, so I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the story. So if you can get my next slide. I drew this wonderful map, all right? Um, it's done by none other than uh, yours truly, um, I, and I hope you can understand this map, all right? So this is, of course, the land of Israel, and that's the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. The, re the reason why the Jordan River is so important is because it splits uh, the land of the Midianites and the land of Israel. So the Midianites are the gray in the, in the right, and it's, uh, it's in modern-day Transjordan um, area, Transjordanian area. Uh, they're the Midianites, and, and in this story of Gideon, the Midianites were the enemies of Israel. So they were huge in numbers, and they had um, camels, and they had everything uh, to defeat the Israelites. On the left side of the Jordan River, we've got Israel. A little bit to the right, you can see a small camp of Manasseh there. Sukkoth and Peniel, the two stars, uh, uh, belongs to the tribe of Manasseh, right? So on to the left of the Jordan River, you can see five tribes. You've got the tribe of Manasseh, which is in black, right? Black fonts. Manasseh, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Ephraim. These are the tribes of Israel that went to war against the Midianites. Now Gideon, the prophet Gideon, is from the tribe of Manasseh, all right? Uh, um, in the tribe of Manasseh, there are two, there are three important mountains, but today I think we're gonna cover just one. There's Mount Tabor. So last week, Mount Moreh was an important mountain, but this week, Mount Tabor is, 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 uh, features a lot stronger uh, this week. But the X that marks the spot is where, the, where the Gideon and his 300 men fought the Midianites. There's a city called Ophrah. 
Ophrah is the city where Gideon, it's hometown, Gideon's hometown, right? Uh, that's where Gideon was from, and um, it would feature strong, uh, strong today as well. Then they fought in the Valley of Jezreel, where the X marks the spot. And if you could see the dotted arrows, the black arrows, so the Midianites invaded the land of Israel uh, from right to left. They fought, they lost, uh, because God was with the Israelites. Then they, they traveled south to Beth Barach. That's uh, one of the cities near the Jordan River uh, to Beth Barach. Beth Barach is almost where the tribe of Ephraim begin to attack the Midianites. Then the Midianites uh, uh, retreated to, to Karkor. So Karkor is where uh, 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 the, fi the, the final stand, where they lost at Karkor. So you memorize this map, and then now I want to tell you the story of Judges chapter 8. All right, so this is the map. Don't worry, you can go home, uh, look it up on uh, uh, YouTube, pause it, screenshot it, that's the map. But this is today, this, this little table here, this is Ophrah. Is that okay? So this is the hometown of Gideon. All right, and I don't have any other props, and there's no need to bring other props, but this is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Sukkoth, Peniel and Karkor, all the way back to Ophrah. Can I tell you the story? Okay, a very short story. So Gideon and his 300 men, they were at Ophrah, all right? And then this is Mount Moreh. They surrounded the Midianites. They had torches, they had clay pots, um, and they had a trumpet. Um, and the Lord was with them. With 300 men, they routed 135,000 Midianites, all right? And the, how they got to 300 men and how I got the 1% is initially when Gideon made the call to Israel, 32,000 men rallied to Gideon's call. But God said 32,000 is, 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 is too many, all right? You're going to need to filter that down all the way to 300. So Gideon filtered it down to 300. Now, 300 out of 32,000 is about 1%. And that is why God's, I, my sermon is guard your 1%. Are you the 1%? Guard your 1%. So that's where I got 1% from. So they routed the Midianite. Now, the Midianite flee. They were running to Karkor. Karkor is one of the headquarters of the kings of, uh, of Midian. So they were going in that direction. They are retreating all the way to Karkor. Now Gideon and his men made chase, all right? And then Gideon says, I tell you what, three tribes up there, uh, Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali, can you help me? Because I only have 300 men and we need to chase. We need to chase another 15,000 men, all right? So about 120,000 men died at Mount Moreh and they are chasing 15,000, but they only have 300, right? Uh, um, so call, help. So they came, they helped, they routed the men. They reached Beth Barach, the Jordan River, then they crossed. First, they reached the town of Sukkoth. When Gideon reached the town of Sukkoth, now Sukkoth is an Israeli town, all right? An Israelite town. Uh, uh, Peniel is also an Israelite town. When he reached the town of Sukkoth, Gideon implored the men of Sukkoth, my brothers, my brothers. Remember, they're from the same tribe, Manasseh, all right? Like, I'm a Ling, all right? I implore my other Ling tribe. I'm very, very sure the Lings in this place, in SIBKL, will answer my call if I say I need some food, all right? If you won't, uh, uh, I pray for you, all right? You, you, if you're a Ling in this place, you answer my call. Is that okay? Or the Fu Chows. If you're a Fu Chow in this place, you answer the Fu Chow's call. Is that okay? I know Joshua Kong is sitting there. He's a Fu Chow, my man. All right, um, they reached Sukkoth. He says, my friends, my, fr my brothers, give me some food. I need roti chanai and teh tarik, all right? Well, actually, in those, I need bread and water, all right? I need some roti chanai, I need some teh tarik for my men because they're hungry. They're chasing the Midianites and trying to kill them. They're hungry, would you feed me? And Sukkot says, no, not really. We don't want to help you. And Gideon says, when I come back, I will discipline you. So he left. He left to the town of Peniel, and he says, men of Peniel, same, my clansmen, 
my Manasseh clansmen, my tribesmen, we are hungry. Will you help us? All we're asking of you is bread and water, all right? Some Megimi and some Teo Ais Limau. That's all I'm asking of you. And Pinil says, no. I don't know. I'm, I just went to the mama. Hence, all my food is mama food, right? Um, if you want, a, can I have a garden salad and mushroom soup, all right? And they said, no. And he's, no. And Gideon says, okay, when I come back, after I kill the Midianites, when I come back, I will punish you. I will discipline you. So he left. He went on his way. He must be really hungry. He must be starving. So Gideon and his men, then he left and he says, Ephraimites, I need you to help me cut the Midianites off. So the Ephraimites at the southern tribe cut the, uh, cut the uh, Midianites off, killed some of them, and then Gideon met with the Ephraimites and says, thank you for your help. But the Ephraimites, just, just a little, little backstory. You can read it in chapter 8. The Ephraimite says, Gideon, why didn't you call us for the first fight? Why didn't you call us? We were here. We, were supp- we, we don't mind helping you. Why didn't you call us for the first fight? So they were angry, and it says, Gideon, I'm, they threatened Gideon. I think they almost wanted to kill Gideon because they were angry at Gideon. Why? You should have called us. But the backstory is Gideon said, well, I did. I did call the men of Israel. You never showed up. All right, that's in Gideon's mind, but Gideon never said that. Gideon says, I tell you what, but you killed the end. You, you, you got the fruits of, 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 of the, the land of the Midian. You got the best grapes. You got the best milk. You got the best honey. So why don't argue with me, all right? We, we're fighting a common foe. So the Ephraimites were, were pleased, and the Ephraimites went home. Then Gideon reached the final destination, Karkor. Karkor is the stronghold of the Midianites. Now, there were 15,000 Midianites, and the Bible never recorded how many men were with Gideon because they've got other tribes with him. But long story short, he finished them off, he killed them because God was with them, and then he took Zebah and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian, he killed them at Karkor, which I will explain in my sermon later. Then he went back home to Ophrah. When he went back home to Ophrah, he took all the gold, he took the purple linen, he took all the jewels, he took the gold necklaces, he took every, every treasured possession in the land of Midian, he brought it home to Ophrah, and then he made an ephod, an ephod made of gold. And that is where the saddest part of the story of Gideon is, this is where he almost, he, well, he fell. So this is the summary, and I want to go into my text. I hope you remember my, my short little story. I have five points today. And I want us to bear in mind before I go into my five points, and, and, and what is my purpose? My purpose is, I want us all to remember that God can use every single one of us. We are the 1%. As I reminded the Sunday service last week, the 1% does not mean that the 1% out of the 1,000 people here, that is only one, uh, 10 people out of 1,000 people here, God will call, God will use. That's not the 1%. The 1% is the 1% out of the 7.5 billion people across the globe. God will use the 1%. And I believe that the church is the 1% that God calls to be used to advance the kingdom of God. So I truly believe that every single person here, you are that 1%. You can be used by God. You will see the victory as we just sung. You will see giants fall. You will see the hand of God. You will move in the hand of God. Watch last week's sermon to understand how you are that 1% and what you need to do in order to be that 1%. How can God use you in your life? But after you are that 1%, guard it. Because it's very easy for us to fall. It is very easy for us to forget the things of God. It is very easy for us to turn our back against God and say, God, I no longer need you. Therefore, the title of my sermon is Guard Your One Percent. 
So as you hear the five points, reflect not on your wife's life, not on your husband's life or your children's life or your best friend's life. Reflect on your own life, how you have fallen short of that 1% that God has called you. Amen, church? Is that okay? All right, let's go into my first point. I want to read from Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7 says, Israelites from Naphtali, as you, as you saw, and Asher, and all Manasseh were called out. So this is when Gideon has already won the, the, the initial battle, the 300 men. They've already won that battle. Then Gideon called out all these tribes, and they pursued the Midianites. So this is after the initial battle at Mount Moreh. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as, this is where you see the town, Beth Barah. So this is where the southern tribe of Ephraim came up against the Midianites at the town of Beth Barah. My first point in this text is this, the 1%, you guard your obedience. You guard Always guard your obedience. You see, when you're in a fight, by the way, we're always in a fight. We're always in a spiritual war. So don't kid ourselves. We are never out of the fight. We're always in a spiritual war. Can I just quote something uh, um, from, from J.R.R. Tolkien? It's one of my favorite quotes, all right, from the Rings of Power. If you have not watched it, it's okay. It's, it's not, not a big deal. But uh, uh, when Galadriel was talking to Elrond, if you know, you know. If you don't know, that's fine. Two people were talking to each other. Okay? It, when Galadriel was talking to Elrond, and Elrond says, no, there's no more evil in Middle-earth. There's no more evil. And then Galadriel says, evil never sleeps. It only waits. See, evil never sleeps. It only waits for you, for the opportune moment to come up against you to fight at your weakest moment to come up against you to fight. At your weakest moment, it will come up against you to attack. It doesn't sleep. It doesn't leave you alone. It just waits for the opportune moment to attack you at your weakest. And when we are attacked, the 1%, guard your obedience. So why do I say guard your obedience? What's wrong with Gideon calling the men? You see, it's very interesting. There's nothing wrong with calling for help. I call for help all the time help me with this, help me with this. I call for help. I mean, I'm one man. I can't do it all. So I need help. And, and, and there are people around me that help me, which is, thank you, thank you, Jesus. But in this case, the direct command from God to Gideon is, I gave you 32,000 and I only needed 300. If I knew you needed help, I would have kept the 32,000 with you. But I only needed 300 to route 135,000. Why are you now calling for help? You've already seen the victory. I've already given you the victory by killing 120,000 Midianites out of 135,000. You've already seen that victory. You've already won the first battle with only 300 men. And now you are only chasing 15,000 men. Don't you think if I can give you 120,000, I can also give you 15,000? Why now do you need to call for help? You see, God never asked Gideon to call for help. God never asked Gideon to say, you extra people, I need your help to kill the, the remaining Midianites. It's the same thing. I believe Gideon did it on his own accord. I'll explain later why he did it. But I believe Gideon didn't fully obey God. He used his own wisdom 
added it into the equation and says, God, I need the extra bits in order to fulfill the first commandment, which is to kill all the Midianites. Just like in our lives, you see the first step of falling from the grace of God, the first step from falling as a Christian is when we realize that the small little actions and the small little steps that we take are disobedience. Or can I say, delayed obedience. We need to watch our mouth, watch our hearts, watch our actions, because God is displeased with disobedience. I tell you why He's displeased. Because disobedience is the first step that you take towards anarchy. The first step you take to say, if I can disobey God in this area of my life, I can disobey God in this area. Then I can disobey God in this area. And then sooner or later, you find yourself in complete disobedience. And then you ask yourself, how did I get from victory to victim? It is because of the first act of disobedience. You see, Gideon disobeyed. I really believe he did. This is the, this is the one out of five. I want to ask before I move on to my next point. What is it in your life that you know very clearly God has called you to do, but you have not done it yet? Or you have done 50% and not the rest? Have God called you to commit to a church? Have you done it? Did God call you to commit as a Christian into having a relationship with Him? Have you done it? Did God call you to commit to your work and your family? Have you done it? Did God call you to fill in the blank. Have you done it? Because if you haven't, you check your heart to say this is the first step towards disobedience. Because if you can disobey God in one thing, you can disobey God in 10 things. And sooner or later, you find yourself in the shoes of Gideon, the absolute fall from grace. Amen? Guard your 1%. Guard your obedience. I want to explain this a little bit more. So I go deeper and deeper into the text as I go along. Judges chapter 8, verse 4, six and four, seven, four, four to 6 and, and 8. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet, no, not there in Sukkoth and Peniel, right? Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the man of Sukkoth, give my troops some bread. They are worn out and I'm still pursuing Zebah and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Sukkoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? From there he went up to Peniel, Gideon went up to Peniel, and he made the same request of them. But they answered as the men of Sukkoth had. The answer is this, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Now I want us to understand, my second point is this, the 1% guard your faith. You see, when you walk in disobedience, it's very easy for us to then lack in faith. The 1%, guard your faith. Now, why do I say this? Do I blame the men of Sukkoth and Peniel for not helping Gideon? Do we blame them? I want to explain where they are coming from. You see, they live on the, on the east of the Jordan River. They live in the Midianite territory. If the Midianites attack, they will attack Sukkoth and Peniel first. So they asked Gideon, have you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna? What does that mean, have you already have the hands? You see, back in those days in ancient Near East, when you attack the enemies and you want to come back with proof 
that you have killed the king or killed the prince or killed the general of the army, what you do is you cut off the hand, or some, in some cases you cut off the head, but you cut off the hand of the kings or the generals, and by that hand alone, you string it all together and you bring it back as proof. Now, how can the hands of your enemy be as proof? Because on that hands, on the hands of kings, the hands of princes, or the hands of generals will always carry with it rings. By the rings, you can identify that this person is Zeba, or this person is Zalmuna. That's why the men of Sukkot asked, do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna? Have you finished, have you killed off the enemy? The reason they ask is, if you have not finished killing the enemy, I look at your troops, only 300. I look at the Midianites passing by, 15,000. Now, they were never at the initial battle, right? Their faith was never built at the initial battle. They go, by sheer math alone, you are outnumbered and most likely you will lose. So if I help you now, and the enemy finds out that I helped you, and you lose the battle, guess who the enemy will come up against next? Me. So they acted out of self-interest, and they says, no, I will not help you until you prove to me that you have given me the hands of the Midianite kings. The 1%, guard your faith. It's very easy for us as Christians to fall in the same category as Sukkoth and Peniel, where we go, we need to see the facts first before I show you my faith. Give me the facts, God, before I show you my faith. God, I think you can heal, but show me the facts first before I believe in you. Show me, show me, prove to me, God, that you can heal me first, then only I believe in you. Show me the facts. Why should I come to church? Somebody just asked me recently. Why should, why should I come to on-site church? Why? Well, I said, well, do you not want the presence of God? Do you not want the joy of the Lord? Do you not have one corporate worship? Do you not want uh, to download and hear the Word of God in church and in the service and see what, how God is moving among His people? That's why you should be in on-site service. And the answer is, but what's in it for me? You see, I, the person, I need to see the facts first before I believe I can achieve all this. I need to see the facts that God is speaking to me, that His presence is with me first before I do the things of God. The 1% here don't fall into the same trap as Sukkoth and Pen the men of Sukkoth and Peniel, that your faith always comes before the fact. That's why we're Christians. That's why Hebrews says faith is the things unseen and the evidence unseen. We don't see the evidence first, but we believe. We believe by faith that Jesus can save. We believe by faith that Jesus has won that victory. We believe by faith because if you don't believe by faith, then without faith, it is impossible to please God. Absolutely impossible to please God because God is only pleased by your faith. When you trust in Him and you put your wholehearted belief and your trust in this God that He will come through for you no matter what, then He is pleased and He will give you that victory. But a lot of the times, we as Christians says we need the facts first. Give me the evidence first, God, then I will move. God says, I want you to do this in your workplace. Give me the evidence first, God, that you want me to do this. You want me to reach out. You want me to pray in my workplace. Give me the evidence first, God, that if I pray for my boss, my boss will X, Y, Z. Then I will believe. God says, no, no, no. I've called you to take the first step of obedience. Then you move by faith. And you do it even though you have not seen the evidence. You see how the first step of disobedience will always lead to the first step of the lack of faith. So I appeal to us, 
Guard your 1%. Guard your faith in God. This is God, if God has called you for something, you don't need the facts and the evidence before you take that first step of obedience to say, God, I will obey and I will follow you all the days of my life, whether or not I see the facts, whether or not I see the evidence of things to come. Amen? Okay. I want to move on to even deeper of a problem in the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 8, 18 to 21. Then he asked, then Gideon asked Zeba and Zalbuna. Now Gideon is already at Karkor. He's already routed, he has already routed the Midianites. Now he's got the kings of Midian in his hands. Then he asked Zeba and Zalbuna, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Remember I said Mount Tabor will feature strongly? What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Which means to say there was a prior battle of the Midianites and the Israelites at Mount Tabor. Men like you, they answered, men like Gideon, each one with the bearing of a prince, which means that they recognized that how Gideon dressed and how Gideon spoke is like royalty. Now, whether Gideon was actual royalty or not, we don't know, but I'm guessing he dressed like one. I'm guessing he acted like a, a prince, like a royalty. Gideon replied, those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. So he's not talking hypothetically, like you all are my brothers and my sisters, all right? But technically here, Gideon says, they are the sons of my own mother. So Gideon is talking about his blood brother, not just brothers in Christ, my blood brother. Those were my brothers that you killed at Mount Tabor, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and he was afraid. Zeba and Zalmunna then said to Gideon, come, do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments of their camels' necks. They really tongue their camels, right? You know, nowadays days we don't have camels to turn. If you understand that, you know, you have all this cool stuff that you put in your cars, you know, your side skirting, your huge exhaust. So now we turn our cars, and back in those days, they turn their camels. So they, they dress their camels up. So they have to take the ornaments of the camels, right? So if, if, if you look at a camel and it's really nicely dressed, you know this guy's rich. You know, he's, he's a, a king. He's rich. What's the point of this story? Now, this is the heart of the matter and the heart of why Gideon fell. The 1%. Guard your heart. Guard your obedience. Guard your faith. Guard your heart. What's the importance of this portion of Scripture? I've been asking God many times. I read this passage quite a few times. I said, God, this is a very weird portion to put in. It's really weird. Like, why do you suddenly talk about the tribes of Ephraim and then you suddenly talk about him killing Zeba? And then you have to go so detailed that he asked his son to do it and his son also had to say no. And then you did it himself. Is there an importance in this story? And God says, yes. Because in this portion, we have an insight to the motif of Gideon. You see, Gideon witnessed for himself that his brothers were killed at Mount Tabor. It's almost like, remember King David? King David was the least of his family, right? He was the youngest of his family. Then he went into the battlefield where all his oldest brothers were, were fighting uh, the, the, the enemy, the Philistines, right? And what did David do? David brought water. David brought food for his older brothers. And he witnessed how the older brothers were fighting the Philistines, right? Same as this. I believe Gideon was the youngest son. 
He was, he was too young to fight at that time. So I believe he went to the battlefield at Mount Tabor to bring food and to bring waters for his brothers. But he saw, and I believe he witnessed, how the Midianites attacked Israel, killed everybody, and left his brothers left, and he saw how Zeba and Zalmunna killed his own brothers. And from then on, in the beginning of Judges chapter 6 and 7, Gideon always said, God, why are you using me? I am the weakest of my clan. You see, if you see your own blood, your own brothers and sisters killed by the enemies, actually physically killed by the enemies, won't you think your self-esteem will be a a little bit bruised? Don't you think your confidence will be bruised if they were killed by whatever enemy? Now God is saying, I want you to go and kill those enemies. He says, no, don't go, God. I'm the weakest of the clan, right? I'm the youngest of my family. Who am I that you would use me? You see, Gideon went into the battle and he had to have six signs from God. Read chapter 6 and 7. He needed six signs from God to be convinced that God is on his side and God will use him. And he knew when he stepped into the battle that God already explicitly said, Israel, you cried for help because the Midianites were oppressing you. Here the Lord of Israel, Yahweh himself, will come and save you. Gideon was given a task, a national task, to restore the spirituality of Israel and to bring peace to the nation of Israel. But when we reach chapter 8, sometimes I ask myself, why did you have to chase Zeba and Zalmunna all the way to Karkor? Then you had to go and flog your friends, your your brothers in Sukkoth. You flogged your brothers in Peniel. You had to call the other tribes. Why? Because here, Gideon's motif was different from God's motif. Gideon wanted revenge. Gideon, in his heart of hearts, was bitter was unforgiving, was also fearful of the enemy. And when he found and he tasted victory against the Midianites, he wanted revenge. Why do you think he asked his son to kill the kings? Because in those days, a warrior gives a warrior's death. If I, if I conquered you in battle, I'm a warrior, you're a warrior, I happen to be stronger than you, hence, therefore, I won the battle, but you give me a warrior's death. If you don't understand it, watch the movie Gladiator. All right, Russell Crowe said, you know, Max, General Maximus uh, Decimus said, give me a warrior's death, all right? I want a warrior's death. If you don't watch the Vikings, everybody wants a warrior's death, right? So they wanted a warrior's death. But in order to deny the honor of a warrior's death, you ask a boy who has never been to battle, a young boy, to kill you. Because there, you are shamed. There, I can always gloat over your people to say you were killed not by a warrior, but you were killed by a young boy. You are a nobody. That's why he asked his son to do it. But his son was too young. His son was too scared. Now you understand. When the Midianites were fleeing, and Gideon says, I only have 300 men. Now you understand why Gideon had to call the other tribes to help him. Because in that lack of faith, he wanted to rout and kill everybody. But the two people he wanted to kill the most was Zeba and Zalmunna. When we hear that Zeba and Zalmunna has died, then only he went back to his hometown and he rested. He had a revenge motive. Why do you think he had to flog Sukkoth and Peniel, his friends? You know, as, as if, if I'm Gideon, I would have gone to Sukkoth, Pastor Aaron, for example, I said, Pastor, help me. And Pastor Aaron says, no, I'm afraid of the Midianites. If he says he's afraid of the Midianites, I would have thought back upon my own life. That's true. You know, he was never at the battle. 
I was also afraid of the Midianites. I never wanted to go to battle without God. So I would have empathized and I would have said, that's okay, my friend. All right, that's okay. I will go on my way and I will fight the Midianites. I come to Peniel, Pastor Joel, and he, and he says, help me. And Joel says, I'm also afraid of the Midianites. I would have empathized and I would go along my way. Now, the reason why he was so angry with them that he came back and he flogged them, he came back and he killed the men of Peniel is because I believe that if you don't help me and if I don't get to kill Zeba and Zalmunna, then blood is on your hands. So I'm angry with you. You see how the heart can turn from a heart of faith now to a heart of revenge. Now your heart is bitter. Now your heart is unforgiving. Now your heart is cold and you have only one objective in mind that is to inflict revenge upon your enemy. And Gideon inflicted revenge. He got what he wanted. He came back a victor. My point is this. How many of us in our lives, we have seen the favor of God? You've seen the grace of God move in your life. You have felt the forgiveness and the mercies of God. You have felt how God has delivered you in your life. You have felt the move of God, the favor of God in your business maybe, in your family maybe. Some of us, we prayed for children and God gave us children. Some of us, we prayed for our business or our work and God gave us the work of our hands. Some of us, God prayed, give me a good church and that's why you're here, right? <laughs> Praise God. But it's so easy when we've seen the deliverance of the Lord and then suddenly one Christian brother offends us. Or not even a Christian, a non-Christian offends us. And we cannot let that offense go even though we've experienced the love and the grace of God. And God is saying, I've given you everything, my son. I've given you everything, my daughter. Don't you just want to be in the presence of God? Forgive. Let go. Let God forgive. And he says, no. I will hold on to my offense until I get my revenge. Now, we don't say it in words, do we? We don't say it like that. This is not a Korean drama, all right? This is not a Netflix drama. We don't say it in words. Netflix have to say it so you know what's going on in their minds. But we don't say it this way now, do we? What we do is we act it out. How you live your life goes to show. Are you angry at a Christian brother or a sister? When you see them in church, you don't say hello, not do you? You walk the other way. What's worse? You talk behind their back. You know this guy, uh, you know this Pastor Isaac? Hiya, he's the worst man. He's the worst. He didn't say hello to me. He's the worst, man. I, I got him this. He, he never said thank you, man. I tell you, my, my, something happened to me. He never called me. Man. I tell you, he's the worst pastor in time. We exact revenge because we don't get... No, I'm, 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 I hope you just don't do that, right? You love me, right? You love me, right? Thank you, thank you. You love me, right? Okay, I need some self-esteem here. You love me, right? I don't know. I've, you, I have to use myself. I can't use anybody else, right, as an example, right? Um, but, I, but, but that's our life, don't we? Sometimes you don't get what you want at work and you hate your colleague. You hate your boss. Sometimes you don't get what you want in a cell group and you hate your cell leader. You hate your core leader. Sometimes you don't get what you want in church. You hate the leaders. You hate the pastors. Sometimes you don't get what you want in the country. You hate the politicians. You hate what God is doing in the governance of this country. And you lead your life in the heart of revenge. And you find yourself going deeper and deeper and deeper into the territory of the enemy. And Satan has a bigger and bigger and bigger grip upon your life. And he grips you. 
and you don't even know you've been gripped. Now, I don't even think Gideon even knows he was gripped. And I couldn't even see it until God says, look at how Gideon is treating his own men. Look at how Christians are treating Christians. And sometimes we ask ourselves, how have we treated another Christian? And then we go, mm, that's not so Jesus-like now, is it? And then you have to ask yourself, but why? And then when you dig deep into your soul, sometimes the answer is, I've got unforgiveness against another sister or another brother, and I can't let go. So I inflict that hurt, and I inflict that pain on another person. But we, don't, we don't realize until God and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So my appeal is, guard your heart. Don't let the enemy take from you when you've experienced the favor and the mercies of God. Don't let the enemy, through one small offense, make it into a big thing and then you cannot let go and then you fall in the camp of bitterness and revenge. Don't. Always remember what God has done. Always come back to the original plan. You see, I believe in Judges chapter 6 and 7, and in Judges chapter 8, where we're in now, how do I know that this is not of God? It's very clear. When the rise of Gideon, in every other verse, it's always, the Lord said, the Lord called, the Lord gave Gideon a dream, the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord fell upon Gideon, and Gideon did. The Lord gave Gideon a sign. The Lord gave Gideon another sign. The Lord met Gideon in the oak of the Ophrah tree. The Lord woke Gideon up. The Lord this, the Lord that. The Lord was with him. The Lord will never leave him. The Lord would strengthen him. The Lord will be with him. Do not fear, Gideon, because I'm with you. Be strong, Gideon, because I'm with you. Two chapters. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. In the whole of Judges 8, there is only one time that the Lord was mentioned. And it was mentioned by Gideon when he wanted to take revenge again upon the men of Sukkoth and Peniel. You don't help me. When I come back, I will exact my revenge upon you. Now, this guy really have a revenge problem, don't you think? Right? And then he says, by the Lord. When the Lord gives me victory in the hands of the Midianites, then I will come back and take my revenge against you. That is not the Lord said. That is Gideon in invoking the name of the Lord. The whole of chapter 8 was devoid of Jesus was devoid of God. Everything was Gideon. Everything was what Gideon wants. And that's how I know that this chapter is not of God at all. God never asked him to disobey by calling the other tribes. And because you call the other tribes, now the tribe of Ephraim is angry with you. God never, never asked him to exact revenge upon your own Israelites. They don't have faith. If God wanted to use the men of Sukkoth, God would have called the men of Sukkoth. God never called them. God called you, Gideon. Don't go and, call, don't go and take revenge and go and uh, you know, aggravate your brothers and sisters just because they don't want to help you. Why do you do that? And God says, I didn't ever ask you to inflict such revenge upon Zebah and Zalmunna. I just asked you to kill them, be on your way, leave them be, go home. Because there are two main purposes of why God called Gideon. The national peace of Israel and to bring a spiritual revival to Israel. And Gideon did not achieve either. So my third point is this. Guard your heart. Because out of the heart comes everything else in our lives. And I lead to my fourth point. Judges chapter 8, 22 to 25. 
So after Gideon has killed Zebah and Zalmunna, the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. Just, just watch the language here. I read it again. Rule over us, Gideon, because you, rule over us, you rule over us, your son rule over us, and your grandson rule over us, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. I don't have to explain. I think you get my drift. But Gideon told them, oh, this is good of Gideon. This is, well, this is magnanimous of him, right? I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. It's big of him. It's big of him. Then he said, but I, but I, I do have one request. I love this, but I do have one request. That each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. If you read, go, go, go home and read uh, uh, the long passage. It will explain uh, this portion a lot more, Gideon's ephod. I want to explain uh, uh, this. I think there's another slide, sorry. Let me finish. The weight of the gold rings that they, they gave Gideon, he asked for, came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's neck. Again, the Bible says they, they really took their camels here. Um, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israelites prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. 1,700 shekels of gold. By the way, that's 20 kilograms of gold. I don't know how, how heavy it is, but I think this is like two, two, 20 grams of gold. All right, this is, this is precious. All right, this is mine. All right, this is my gold, my wedding ring. 20 kilograms of gold? That is two times my firstborn son, man. That's, that's, that, I can't, can you imagine my two, my two firstborn son worth of gold? I'm like, I can't even carry him to, on one hand. Do you know what 20, 20 kilograms of gold is worth in, in modern uh, uh, ringgit? That's five million ringgit, without counting the ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, all the, the turned camel stuff, all right? Just five million ringgit worth of gold. He made that into an ephod. How, I don't, look, I'm not a fashion guy, but how, I don't know any clothing, apparel, that is worth five million ringgit. Now, if you know, you let me know, okay? Because I, I, I shop at Uniqlo, all right, I don't shop at $5 million worth of clothing. You do? You do? Okay, that's great. So there's, apparently there is something that's worth $5 million. But I researched that the, the something that we all know is that the crown of Queen Elizabeth II, or now the crown of King Charles III, is worth four and a half million ringgit, that crown alone. So I want you to imagine. He took all the gold and he made it into an ephod. Or in other words, he made it into a crown and he placed it into his own home. My fourth point is this, the 1%, guard your hands. Guard your hands. Guard your obedience, guard your faith, guard your heart, now guard your hands. Now, why do I say guard your hands? You see, Gideon said something amazing. Gideon says, no, I don't want to be your king. Only God will be your king. I don't want to be your king, all right? But take a look at the work of his hands, and you would know that he is a walking hypocrite. Number one. Only kings would take a tithe and tax the people, golden earring. Only a king would do that, nobody else. If you see all the other wars uh, 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 in the book of Judges, they won, they went back. 
They won, they went back. No judges took, took a tithe. No judges took tax. Only Gideon. Gideon was the first judge that says, you tithe, you tax me, and only a king tithe. And then he continues to say, Gideon says, he had many wives and 70 sons. Many wives and 70 sons. I believe the Bible was so accurate to say he's got 70 sons, but he's got many wives. So I think the Bible is like, he's got so many I don't, you don't even want to put it down, but I tell you what, he's got 70 sons, not even counting his daughters. I have two sons. I'm already up to here. Okay. I was like, Gideon, you've got seven. What's wrong with you, man? Like, 70 sons. Are you okay? Like, dude, where do you have the time to go and look after all of them? Like, right? Just as of reference, only kings have many wives and that many sons. Only kings. No wonder. An ordinary man. Like me, I, cannot, I, I, I can afford one wife. It's enough, all right? <laughs> Even if God says you can do more, I say, I'm good, all right? I'm good, all right? One wife. Many wives, dude, right? Um, out of reference, King David only had eight wives, and he only had 21 sons and daughters. This guy outdid King David. Let's not talk about Solomon, okay? Now, this guy, Solomon wins the gold medal, all right? Solomon takes the gold medal by a freaking mile, all right? But Gideon is not far behind Solomon. Only kings would have many wives and many sons. Only kings would make a crown or an ephod or a temple or an ark or a worship altar and put it in the homes so that the community can come and worship. Only kings do that. You watch all the kings. King Solomon did it. King David did it. All the kings would do that because that is how they rallied the people to himself. But here's the best one. This is the best one. In chapter 9, you hear it next week. He calls his son Abimelech. What is Abimelech? Abi is father. Melech is king. He calls his son the, the son of a king. My father is king. The son of a king. My father is king. I, I, can, can you imagine if I called my son Abimelech? My father is king. As if I am king. I am king. So he tells the people, don't make me your king. Only, only God would be your king. But what he do in real life, he actually lived as a king. And the 1% is, guard your hands. You've got to guard your heart and guard your hands. It's easy for us as Christians to say, oh, glory be to God. And then we do something else. It's easy for us to say, sing the song. I was going to sing the Malay song, but I can't remember the first line. <laughs> I, was going to, I was going to sing it, right? Uh, it's so easy for, sing, for us to sing worship songs. Oh, this worship is so good. And then we turn around and then we curse the next person we see because we're pissed off because the traffic jam out of Bangunanyin is too long. <laughs> we says, ayah, this person cannot drive one. Nah. You know, it's, ayah, I tell you why we can drive faster. And then we sing worship songs. And then God says, guard your hands. He says, God, I'm gonna, I love you, God. I want to commit to you, God. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I will follow you the rest of my life. And then God says, come for first service at 5 o'clock. It's okay. La. Long holiday. I got to go. All right. No, Today is raining. I don't have to go. And then we do something else. Your profession of your mouth, the profession of your mouth and the commitment of your hands are two different things. Don't do a Gideon. He professed one thing and he made himself sound so spiritual, don't you think? I will not be your king. Only God would be your king. Okay, he doesn't sound like that. I don't know why I'm saying I'm very sure he doesn't sound like this. <laughs> but it's so, it sounds so good, it's so spiritual. But actually, no. No. And if you leave in chapter 9, when he passed away, 
all of Israel assumed that his 70 sons would rule. Why would you assume that if you were not living as a king? Guard your hands. My friends, my brothers and my sisters, when you say you love Jesus, when you say you commit to Jesus, when you say you follow Jesus, then do it. Then commit. Then follow. Then love. Because if you don't, you are doing a Gideon. And God looks down and God goes, no, this was never my original design for your life. Which leads me to my final point my most important point. You see how the, the fall of Gideon, he fell so far. He was, he was wow, he was, he was a great judge. And in just one chapter, he fell from grace so far. And this is my last point. Judges chapter 8, just 27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israelites prostituted themselves by worshipping it there and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. It's my last point. The 1%. Guard God's glory. You don't want to fall from grace? You don't want to fall in God's eyes? Then you guard God's glory. You're always jealous for God's glory. Why do I say this? The, the pit of Gideon's failure, I don't even think was him taking revenge. The pit of Gideon's failure. I don't even think it was him taking revenge against his own friends or, in, or Zeba and Zalmunna. I don't even think it was him calling the tribes. Those were disobedience. Those were, oh, okay, fine. I can close an eye. But here, when in Judges chapter 7, God called him to consecrate his father's house by getting rid of his father's altar. And he did it. Because when God called you into His calling, He will always call you into a consecration to say, I use holy people. I called you to be holy because I am holy. So when He called him to consecrate, He did. He cleansed His father's house. He cleansed His family altars and He worshipped God there. But here, when the height of His power, when He has conquered 135 thousand Midianites, when he is now the richest man in Israel, when he is now the most influential man in Israel, the most powerful man in Israel, what did he do first? He went back to his hometown, to his father's house. He made a gold ephod that is worth five million ringgit and he placed it here for Israel to worship. What is an ephod? An ephod is a priestly garment when you want to inquire of the Lord and get an insight of God's will and God's plan in the Old Testament, you wear the ephod, you go to the temple and you pray. And only a priest can do it, all right? Only a Levite can do it. You go to the temple and you pray. You ask God, God, what is your will? And He reveals His will to you because you're wearing the ephod. You're wearing a priestly garment. So He because he got all the signs from God, because he has got all this wisdom and victory from God, he believed that by making an ephod, he would always have the will and the wisdom of God. And not only for him, he made this ephod the worship place of all Israel. So I believe that all Israel came to the ephod and asked for divine wisdom. Now, was that ever the original intent of the ephod? No. Was that the ever in original intent for God for, uh, to ask Gideon, build me an altar there? No. No. God never asked him. And, I, and commentary, 
theologians believed that every time you go into the temple to ask of the Lord, you always pay the priest a tithe. That's why it was a snare to Gideon and his family. He took God's glory for himself and said, it's mine. The power is mine. The gold is mine. The influence is mine. Do we not say it? We don't say it out loud. But how do we live our life? My business is mine. Don't touch it, God. My career is mine. You don't, you don't touch it, God. This is mine. My, my work is mine. God, you don't touch it. My family is mine, God. You don't touch it, God. How I value and what values I bring to my family, God, this is mine. You don't touch it, God. This is mine. But, but yes, God gave you your sons and daughters. But no, these are mine, God. You don't touch it because the glory goes to me. Do you know why that this chapter 8 is the pivotal chapter of the whole book of Judges? Because it is here that Israelite went from rock bottom to absolute bottom. Because God's initial, and He told Gideon first, He says, I don't want you to go to battle with 32,000, only 300, lest you boast that you are the one who killed the Midianites. I only want 300 because I want all of Israel to recognize and have a spiritual revival to recognize that God, the glory belongs to God, the honor belongs to God. And what did Gideon do? He reversed it. He called his friends to fight. Then he built an ephod that says, the glory is now mine. It's just like Gollum. It's mine, precious. My life is mine, precious. And you can't let go of God. And I want to just have one last challenge for us today and I want to sing the closing song. How many of us have forgotten that God has given you the glory? Uh, sorry, God has given you the victory. God has given you favour. Does your business not belong to God? Does your money not belong to God? Are we not just stewards? Does your health not belong to God? Are we not just stewards? Does your family, your children, your loved one not belong to God? Are we not just stewards? Does your house, your beautiful house, your beautiful car, doesn't it not belong to God? Are we not just stewards? Or we hog the glory to say, I bought this car. I made my business happen. I worked hard for this car. Why do I need God? God never helped me. I did it all upon my own. And God says, no. Today, give glory back to God because only to Him deserves all glory only to Him deserves all honour and that's why I want to end with this song I love this song this is my song I love this song in Christ alone will I glory though I could pride myself in battles won for I've been blessed beyond measure and by His strength alone I overcome sometimes we forget when we win battles we forget that it is only by God's strength. We think we did it. Have you ever fallen into this category? When you've got a problem, you pray and pray and pray and you plead with God and you have altars and you pray and pray and pray and God delivered you and God gave you the victory and you forget to thank Him and you forget and you go away and you took it for granted. You prayed for a hundred days on your knees. You got the victory. You didn't even pray and thank God a hundred days on your knees to say, God is yours. Your glory belongs to you. You just say, thank you, Jesus. 
and then you'll be on your way. Some of us, we don't even say thank you, Jesus. We go, oh, He answered my prayers. And we don't see you in church anymore. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. But those trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand. In Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. For only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now I seek no greater honour than just to know Him more and to count my gains but losses to the glory of the Lord. If you take home any one thing from the story of Gideon, is never, never assert the glory of God. The glory of God belongs to Him. Is He not the creator of the universe? Did He not give you life? Did He not breathe the Ruach into your, into, into your breath? Did He not give you whatever you want in your life and whatever you need? He gave it to you. Now give Him back that glory. And I want to invite all of us to stand. Let's sing this last song. Will we? Can we? And just five minutes, I call for five minutes of your week. Give God that glory. I'm not doing an altar call to the front, but when we sing this song, I want you to give Him that glory. Give Him that honour, that what He deserves. And see in your heart if there's any bitterness, any unforgiveness, any revenge, any disobedience, any, any actions that contradicts the Word of God. And give it all to God and says, God, I, it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Father Lord, Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that none of us here, that none of us here will ever take honour away from you. That none of us here will ever take the glory away from our Lord, our God. That none of us here will ever bask in our own strength, in our own glory, in our own achievement, in our own victories, in our own riches, in our own whatever the works of our hands. That we, Lord Jesus, we are nothing without you, Lord Jesus. We are nothing without you. So, Father God, I pray, I pray that the story of Gideon will always, always draw our hearts closer to you. Let us not be a Gideon, Father God. Let us not experience victory and then we go and turn the other way and then we make it a snare to me and my generation that my sons and my daughters will not know you because we don't live a life that honors you. And I pray, Father God, that we as a church in SIPK, we will always honor Jesus. We will always give the glory back to Jesus. That we, Father God, we are nothing without you, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that upon you sits the highest praise and upon you sits the highest victory and upon you sits the highest honor and highest glory and highest power, Lord Jesus Christ, for your kingdom be manifested on earth now and forevermore. Let the glory of everything in this world be upon Jesus Christ now and forevermore. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And church, I want you to give the glory to Jesus. Give the biggest shout. Give the biggest clap. Give the biggest praise. For Jesus, for God, and for Jesus. God, this is you. You deserve it, God. You deserve it, God. You deserve our praise and our honor. You deserve our praise and our recognition. You deserve it, God. All glory to you, Jesus. Yes, God. We thank you, Lord. And in Jesus Christ, we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. God bless you. God bless you. If you're new, come and say hello to us at a connect counter at the hospitality. But if not, 
God bless you. Have a great week. And always remember, and out of your lips, give glory to God. God is good. God loves you. God bless you, church.